Three phrases we hear all the time, but rarely get right. See if you can get these right where you are today. See which one is the right one, okay? Number one, when you are feeling hungry, do you experience hunger pains or hunger pangs? Hunger pains or hunger pangs, P-A-N-G. Answer, pangs. The medical community describes this discomfort you feel because of hunger as a hunger pang. Number two, is it a last stitch effort or a last ditch effort? Answer, last ditch effort. This is a military term communicating the last line or ditch of defense. And then lastly, is it I couldn't care less or I could care less? Answer, I couldn't care less. This is a phrase that's meant to communicate that you are at the lowest rung of your capacity for caring anymore. Now, some of you may be feeling that way about this sermon right at this moment. Hold on, stick with me. Here's the deal. When you think you know something and it's not exactly what you thought, it can feel frustrating. And today we're stepping into one of the best known parables from Jesus. It's often called the Good Samaritan. And what we're going to discover is that it's not exactly what we thought. Now, no doubt you have heard someone call someone else a Good Samaritan because they went out of their way and did something nice for someone else. You may have even heard the parable before today. And usually the point devolves down into the idea that, you know what, if you just do something nice for someone who's different than you, you'll make God smile. And the result in our lives is that we spend a couple minutes thinking through a couple ways that we could do a couple things for a couple people, and then we feel better about ourselves for a short minute, and then we go on with life as usual. That is not the point of today's parable. It's not nice and neat. And frankly, it's a bit abrasive. And what Jesus is adamant about in today's parable is this. Messy love is the way to life. Messy love is the way to life. Let's take a look together. If you haven't already, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. While you're turning there, we are going to be continuing this summer through the gospel account of Luke, looking at Jesus's brilliant parables. And the way that this parable begins is with a common everyday question. You see, there was a Jewish Bible expert. They were called lawyers in that day. He comes to Jesus with a really common question, but with the intention of trying to trap Jesus. The question in verse 25 is, how do I inherit eternal life? Now, there are some issues with this question, but Jesus being a brilliant Jewish rabbi, he answers a question with a question. He says, well, you're a lawyer. What does the law or the scriptures, what do the scriptures say? And this lawyer, he gives a really common everyday answer in response. He says, the law says, hey, you should love God with everything in your influence from the inside out and love your neighbor with the same level of concern as you love yourself. And Jesus is like, hey, gold star, way to go. Go and do likewise and you will know this life. And you can sense the frustration of the lawyer at this moment because he knows he can't just go and do this. And so as he wrestles to try to win the argument and also justify the way he's chosen to live, he presses in a little bit further and he asks another question. He basically says, sure, 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 sure. But who's my neighbor really? Now, this lawyer knows what he's doing. Jesus knows what he's doing. But do we really know what's happening here? 
Interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't directly answer this question. Instead, he tells a parable. And that's where I forget where I'm at. So that's perfect. So we'll just pause it there for a second. Okay. So he tells a parable. Okay. And I know we just heard this read and it was dramatically portrayed for us in a video, but just as a way of review, okay, this is the parable. There's a guy, a Jewish guy, who's on the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And on his way, he is mugged and left for dead. Come across this gentleman are two Jewish elite religious guys. You have a priest and a Levite. Instead of stopping, they go by the wayside and keep walking and pay this guy no mind. Instead, the third person who comes is a Samaritan. And he stops, he mends the wounds of this half-dead Jewish guy. He puts him on his animal and he brings him into a Jewish town and pays exorbitant fees to make sure this guy is brought back to full health. That is the parable. And Jesus, he ends this parable by then asking a question. He asks, how, oh man, I'm struggling today. See, this is why we do this. This is great. I'm going to go back to the parable. Mm-hmm. See, this is good. See, Ben knows what I'm talking about. This would be great for the blooper reel. You got plenty of content this week. All right. <clears throat> I know we just heard and watched this reenactment of the parable, but by way of review, let me walk you through it once more. So you find a Jewish guy who's on the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and on his way, he gets mugged and he's left for dead. Two guys walk by, a priest and a Levite. And no, this isn't the beginning of a joke, but these two religious Jewish guys walk by and do nothing to help this half-dead Jewish guy. Now, one person who does stop is a Samaritan, and he mends the wounds, he puts the guy up on his horse, and he takes him into a Jewish town and pays exorbitant fees to make sure this guy comes back to full health. This is the kind of story that goes viral. And Jesus then concludes this story by asking a question to the lawyer. Which of the three guys, which of the three guys actually proved to be a neighbor to the half-dead Jewish guy? Now, this is a very surprising question and it can be infuriating for this Jewish lawyer. Man, I'm struggling today, guys. I'm just gonna be very clear with you. This has been very tough for me. I don't know why, but my brain is going very, very slow. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to that part, and we're going to get this down. I might need to hold my Bible. At least I know how to stop so you don't have to keep recording all the stuff, you know, over and over again from the very top. You know, today, I don't know what it is. My brain has just been like hitting a brick wall all day. I don't know if you've ever had those days, but it's like, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't, it's like hard for me to remember most things for some reason today. I was telling Allie, I was like, man, I, I was like walking through it and I just couldn't remember anything. Okay, great. We'll see if this works. I know we just heard the parable read for us and dramatically reenacted, but by way of review, let me walk you through it once more. There's a Jewish guy who's going from Jerusalem down to Jer Jericho, and while he's heading that way, he is mugged, and he's left for dead. Two guys walk past him, a priest and a Levite, these two elite religious figures in the day. The person who does stop is a third guy. He's a Samaritan, 
And he stops and he mends the wounds of this half-dead Jewish guy. He puts him on his animal, brings him to a Jewish town, and pays exorbitant fees to make sure this gentleman comes back to full health. This is the kind of story that goes viral. And Jesus ends that story by asking a question to the lawyer. He says, which of the three guys proved to actually be a neighbor to the half-dead Jewish guy? Now, this Jewish lawyer is shook in his frustration, such that he can't even bring the words to his lips as to the full answer. Instead, all he can say, all he can say is the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus returns to his initial response. He says, well, excellent. You, very emphatically, you go and do likewise. You see, Jesus is making his point clear. This Jewish lawyer was seeking to ask a question, who is my neighbor, with the intention of limiting who he needed to express God's love to. And Jesus, in turn, tells the story of a Samaritan who has limitless love. And in a Jewish first century context, those are fighting words, okay? This millennia-long tension between Israel and Palestine, I'm sure you've seen it on the headlines. It's regularly there. Well, if you go back to the first century, in a similar context, the Jewish people and the Samaritans had racial and political hatred for one another with a long history of wounds and pain that they had caused each other. And so when Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, makes a Samaritan the hero of his story, this Jewish lawyer, he's just enraged. He can't even bring himself to say the words necessary. Man, all right. Where in the world am I? We're going to get this, fellas. I'm going to get it done by four. You watch and see. You watch and see. I know, I know. I just feel bad for you guys. I don't want you to wait too long. What's that? I know. You guys are so nice to me. Mm, that's what I'm talking about. There we go. Okay. Now what's happening here is bigger than the parable. This Jewish lawyer is asking a question, who is my neighbor? With the intentions of limiting who he needs to express God's love to. And in response... Jesus tells the story of a Samaritan who has limitless love, which in a first century Jewish communal context, those are fighting words. You see, the millennia-long tensions between Israel and Palestine have long since been front-page news. But if you go back to the first century, actually in a very similar way, the Jewish people and the Samaritans had very much this deep hatred for one another that had racial and political roots with a long history of deep wounds. And so when Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, takes a Samaritan and puts him at the hero as the hero of the story, this is infuriating for a Jewish lawyer. Let me give you a little bit of context of what this would be like. It would be kind of like an itinerant preacher going into the Wild West, and he comes across a group of cowboys and he says, you know, I want to tell you a little bit about what God's love is like. And as these cowboys are sitting there listening, he says, okay, there's a cowboy who is beaten up and he's mugged and he's out on the prairie. 
One rancher comes across the cowboy and keeps going. Another rancher comes and keeps going. But there's a third individual who stops. And who is this but a Native American? Someone who years earlier, he and his family had been forced to leave their property. But in this particular moment, he sees the wounded cowboy. He mends his wounds. He sticks the cowboy on his horse and he rides into the nearest pop-up town, maybe Dodge City. And going into a saloon, surrounded by cowboys with hands on their guns, he pays the full way for this cowboy to stay there in the saloon until he is fully well. And then you can imagine the itinerant preacher looking to the cowboys and saying, hey, who's the hero in this story? Who shows us what it looks like to exude God's love and to be a really good neighbor? And these cowboys would be enraged if they weren't broken by the beauty of God's love. They would chase this itinerant preacher right out of town. This particular story, it shakes up our categories. It defies easy definitions. And it causes us to reassess our stereotypes of one another and how we engage and how we limit God's love. And so, Jesus' point is brutally clear here. He will not, he will not let this whole scenario be sabotaged. Instead, he goes back to the initial question that's often lost in the midst of all of this drama, and it's how do we have this eternal life? How do, I, how do I get to be a part of what God is doing when the Messiah comes and he ushers in God's kingdom and life is as it was finally designed to be? How do I have that? And Jesus takes the Jewish lawyer on this infuriating journey until he finally lands by saying, listen, messy love is the way to life. Messy love that defies our expectations and our categories and our nice and neat boxes. And this is more than a command, and this is more than what Jesus wants. The reason that God commands it, and the reason that Jesus wants us to live into this, is because this is the good life, the eternal life. And yet this Jewish lawyer is still seeking to find an out. He's trying to know who to include and who to exclude who to love and who not to love. What kind of life involves checking boxes? He wants a law with exceptions. In other words, he wants to limit the load of God's love. But Jesus wouldn't have any of it. He wants to give life. But to give that kind of life, we have to stop looking for an out and actually step into the mess. And the same is true for you and I today. We have to stop looking for an out and actually step into the mess. If you really want this life, the good life that God has designed us to live, we have to understand that this great commandment, which Jesus affirms later in the gospel accounts as well, isn't something that's optional. It's not something we can outsource to other organizations. Rather, this is the life we were designed to live. And yet even still, I don't know about you, but I still find myself trying to find an out. And there are two common ways we try to find an out. One, and this one's really true for me, I don't know about you, see if this resonates with you at all, but one of the most common ways I try to find an out is through the excuse of busyness. And usually what I mean by busyness is that I do have really full days, but the reason I feel so busy is that I find myself watching way too much Netflix and then I stay up way too late and the next morning I wake up exhausted and I think, oh, it's because I'm so busy. In reality, I don't know if busyness is the true reason for that fullness. Is that true for you? Another kind of out 
that we sometimes use is that we actually leverage scripture to defend our lack of engagement in messy love. So you look at the priest and you look at the Levite, two characters in this story, as well as the lawyer who's raising the question, and they know God's word backwards and forwards. And yet, they have chosen an avenue to myopically read scripture, to just hold on to the easy parts and conveniently ignore the difficult parts. And so, justify their selective love when they want to act and when they don't want to act. Those are two common ways that we easily seek to choose and out. But listen, Jesus wants us to live into the life he's called us to live, a life that we were designed to live, but it only happens through messy love. And so if we're going to stop looking for an out and actually step in the mess, what does this look like? Well, I'm going to give you three quick examples um, that are going to be kind of uncomfortable. Uh, and I, I think they have to be uncomfortable because if the lawyer has a difficulty saying out loud the truth of the question that Jesus is asking him, I think these things may feel difficult to say out loud as well. Okay, that probably means we're headed in the right direction. So here they are. Three examples of what kind of messy love looks like. Number one, Cover your mouth. Yeah, I said it. Now, everybody's talking about masks, and everybody has an opinion about them. But why, why is it so difficult that when kindness and compassion calls us to do that, why can't we just wear a mask? Now, I know for so many, they're going to hear that, and, and we're going to think, okay, is this a political statement? No, we are so over-politicized right now that you can't say a kind word or give a good word of guidance without people assuming a thousand steps down the journey about your political persuasion and your perspective on the world. Let's come on, let's, ha let's have a little better conversation than that. Instead, before all of this, everybody understood that doctors wear masks in vulnerable situations so as to not share germs, whether in highly contagious environments or in surgeries. And now I'm hearing things like, oh, you're a wimp if you wear a mask. That's ridiculous. The other side, I'm seeing sometimes some public shaming and some self-righteousness where people are wearing masks while they're alone in their loft. Come on, that's not helpful either. What we're talking about is this messy love. Let's imagine it this way. You go into your work, okay? And you see someone wearing a mask. And you maybe don't have those regulations at your work per se. You can disagree. You may not think that a mask is necessary, and that's okay. We should be able to disagree and still care for one another. But even still, if someone's wearing a mask either because they have a, a pre-existing condition or they might find themselves more vulnerable or just makes them feel a little more safe, where's the harm caused on you to just wear a mask in that situation to cause better emotional, spiritual, and psychological safety? It's not like it's causing you harm, but it will cause you to go out of your way. COVID has already separated us in a lot of ways. Don't let it separate us even further. Step into messy love, okay? Another example on what it looks like to step into some messy love is to open your mouth. Now, we can get so buried in this parable that we forget that Jesus is advocating for Samaritans. It's a pretty powerful scenario when you think about it because he's there in a Jewish context and he makes a Samaritan one of the hated enemies of the Jewish people, the hero of the story. Now, if you look across nearly every English translation, what's the heading that you see on this story? The Good Samaritan story. Nowhere is that actually in the text. If you go to verse 33, 
Jesus calls the Samaritan a Samaritan. Why is that important? Now, there are moments in our relationships and in our life where our prejudices are challenged because we meet someone who doesn't fit our expectations, sometimes in a positive way. And either privately or publicly, we say within our hearts or in conversation, oh, they're not like all those other fill-in-the-blank. They're a good one. And so when we come to this story about a good Samaritan, Jesus doesn't exceptionalize the Samaritan. He leverages his authority and actually upholds the dignity of a Samaritan, saying that they are worthy of the same kind of love as anyone else and have the capacity to give love as anyone else. So what does that mean for us? One, it means when you're, when you're in a Zoom call or in a work conversation or hanging out with friends, leverage your voice to speak up and to speak for the marginalized, vulnerable, and voiceless. Don't let silence predominate when you hear injustice being perpetuated. Say names of those who have died unjustly, whether we think of Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor and the many, many others who have gone before who have died unjust deaths or the many, many others of names we don't even know. Leverage your voice to speak for the vulnerable. And I know there's going to be a lot of outs that come up just internally, because I feel them. Sometimes the, the out that comes up in my mind is, well, maybe I'll think of a more strategic time to bring this up, which is another way of just pushing it off. At least it is for me sometimes. Maybe you can think, I don't want to be the person who's known as a troublemaker. I don't want to rock the boat. Just beware of the outs that come. We need to speak up for our brothers and sisters. Here's a good example. Asian American brothers and sisters have experienced an uptick of hate crimes in the midst of the pandemic. Back in March, there was an Asian-American family in Sam's. In Sam's grocery shopping, a two-year-old and a six-year-old were stabbed. And the reason the perpetrator said he did that is because he thought they were spreading the virus. We need to be intentional in standing with and speaking up alongside of our Asian-American brothers and sisters. And because, to be clear, silence is a position. It's often less messy, but often it's not nearly as loving. So those are two examples. A third example on what it looks like to step in the mess. Put your money where your mouth is. If we care, we will give. We will give. And not just to relief. Relief is important, and it's important now. But this economic downturn hasn't created as many new inequities as much as it has widened or revealed the inequities that we're already in our economy and in our nation and in our world. Interestingly enough, and painfully enough, it is minorities and immigrants who have disproportionately felt the weight of the economic downturn. As a matter of fact, I read recently in the Center for Responsible Lending that roughly 95% of black-owned businesses 91% of Latino-owned businesses, 91% of Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander-owned businesses, and 75% of Asian-owned businesses stand close to no chance of receiving a PPP loan through a mainstream bank or credit union. We need to be giving to institutions that are unraveling unjust systems and actually seeking to instill more robust, equitable pathways for care for all that actually outlasts 
this pandemic. The light went down, so I was just going to pause for a second to let it come back up. So this is a really fun sermon that I'm feeling I'm going to get a lot of emails about, so this is great. Um, come on. Um, God. I was just going to wait for him. <laughs> and it may be too late. I don't know. Right, so I should just keep going? Okay, okay. all those bloopers. Still recording? I don't think it has a limit. Yeah, looks great. Praise God. <laughs> oh, look at the sun. Okay. Just needed a breather. All right. Hopefully the exposure is what she said. Now, if you've been at Christ Community for a while, I know you're pressing into generosity. And so I just want to say thank you. But now is a time that we should reassess about expanding that generosity. And not just to your church here at Christ Community, but also to our partners at Mission Adelante, at the Culture House, at Proyet Kirke, at Crossroads Academy, whether it be in Care Portal or the many other institutions that are doing really dynamic work across our city. Be reassessing what does it look like to expand your generosity in this unique moment. But listen, I don't know what it exactly looks like for you, but the question we need to be asking ourselves is where do you need to step into the mess? Where do I need to step in the mess? Where do we need to step in the mess? The reality is, is it's going to be difficult. It's probably going to be something we don't want to say out loud, but that's a good indicator that we're headed in the right direction. Now, I want to be clear, after all of this, I'm not trying to take, nor is Jesus trying to take anyone on a guilt trip, okay? And as a staff, we've been calling everybody we can um, over these past couple weeks again to touch base again. And from some of you, I've heard that you're experiencing some survivals, survivor's guilt. Um, you haven't lost your job, and you're seeing other people in pain, and you're wondering what you can do. Listen, listen, I totally understand where you're at when it comes to this survivor's guilt, But hear me, guilt can't be our driver. Because if guilt is our driver, we'll burn out or we'll never really step into messy love. You see, Jesus is clear as to what should drive us in our text. It's compassion. Compassion. You see, in the the parable that he tells, what is it? The Levite and the priest, they look at the man by the side of the road and then they keep walking. But the Samaritan, he looks at the man by the side of the road and he's moved with compassion. And that's what calls him to actually care for this vulnerable gentleman. The same is true for us. The driver must be compassion, this deep, all-bodied emotion that moves us to action. But where does this compassion come from, right? That's that's the million-dollar question. If that's the catalyst to actually bring change, where does it come from? And it comes from Jesus himself. And this is why the Christian faith is best poised out of all the world religions 
to bring deep and meaningful impact in such a time as this. You see, Jesus says, see me as the unexpected savior. See me as the Samaritan, that when you are wounded by the side of the road, it is I who stops and comes and cares for you and gives you life. Or in the words of the apostle Paul, when we weren't wanting anything to, when we, when we didn't want anything to do with God, that was exactly when, when we were sinners, when we were enemies, that's exactly when Jesus died for us. He stopped and he took care of us. And by his death, he paid our way to life. You see, messy love, God's messy love, is the only way to life. And it's not clean cut. It doesn't fit nice and neat in categories. But sometimes it can feel very abrupt and intentionally intense. And when Jesus comes to us, he doesn't just say, receive my messy love. He also says, follow me. You go and do likewise. And the greatest surprise of all is that we might not just see Jesus as the Samaritan, but we might even see him in the wounded man on the side of the road. May that be true. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your word. Frankly, when we feel the weight of this call, Yes, it's beautiful. You're guiding us into life and life abundant. This is the life we were designed to live. This robust, limitless love for our neighbors, for those that are around us, no matter who they are. But the actual application of this, the actual living out, we've got so much internal justification towards motionlessness that guide us towards the easy path of just walking by. God, may the power of your spirit convict us to genuine deep love for one another and for whoever we come in contact with. Guide us, God. We need you to do this in us and through us. We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, one way in which this messy love is brilliantly on display and reminds our senses of taste, touch, and smell is at the Lord's Supper. And so if you have the Lord's Supper, uh, the communion elements available, you're a follower of Jesus and you would like to partake, this is a perfect time to do that. And if you need a couple minutes just to kind of get some things together, feel free to pause the service at this time to prepare. But as we come and partake in the Lord's Supper, let's remember what's been handed down to us. For the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you're ready, take and eat.